Well, if you have your Bible with you this morning, open with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. This morning, our focus text will be verses 21 through 26. 21 through 26. Indeed, hear now the very Word of God, the Word of God that is holy, the Word of God that is without error, the Word of God that cannot err, the Word of God that is inspired, and that Word which is written for you and for me today. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, congregation of Christ, Jesus Christ fulfilling the law and the prophets is one of the most wonderful doctrines, one of the most wonderful realities in Scripture. For contrary to what some clearly thought as they heard him preach and teach about the kingdom, Christ didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. He didn't come to wipe them out, but rather to truly fulfill them. And why is this so grand for us? Jesus really merited, for all who trust in him, he really merited righteousness. And he closed us in it. What the Old Testament scriptures pointed to and taught about the Christ to come was all true to the jot and the tittle. Every single one of the Old Testament prophecies that pointed to Christ were fulfilled by him. Even those that were regarding things still to come will be fulfilled. We have confidence in trusting this promise as we believe Christ's words that not one jot nor one tittle Not one of the smallest strokes in the Hebrew script will will pass from the law until all is fulfilled. Nothing that the prophets proclaimed was off in any way. 
Nothing that is true of Jesus and his being or person or works were lacking in the minutest detail or misaligned in some way with what was foretold or with the obedience that God requires. Christ really did come to fulfill the law. He came to fill full the law. He revealed to his mountainside disciples, as well as he reveals to us today, his sincere purpose in preaching and teaching here. It's focused on filling up and establishing the law's true and full intent, showing his kingdom citizens the goal that they lead to, which is Christ himself. And why is this so important? Because the teachers and examples that the disciples had up to this point were the scribes and Pharisees. They were blind deceivers. They were whitewashed tombs that looked great on the outside, but were dead on the inside. They were hypocrites who were misleading the people by adding their traditions of men to God's law, making those additions in practice the law. That's how the people saw it. Then they sought to be faithful in observing those things. And so here comes the king of the eternal kingdom, warning and correcting the Pharisaical errors. Here comes the greatest teacher of the law, teaching his growing students the true intent and the full extent of the law, along with making the right application of it. Here comes the greatest teacher calling his disciples to follow him and not them. Follow him and not them. So as we consider Jesus' first lesson in the law, let's look at what he says regarding murder beginning in the heart. We'll see that in verses 21 and 22. The path to reconciliation, verses 23 and 24. And the great cost of sin, verses 25 and 26. So look with me at verse 21. He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Now as we read these words that the disciples had heard that it was said, Christ said, Jesus addressed them, notice, as those who knew the law, as those who had heard the reading and the teaching of it in the synagogue each Sabbath. And note that the first lesson that Jesus gives is regarding their teaching on the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. And this is a true and accurate statement of the commandment, is it not? But what does it teach? The sixth commandment teaches true kingdom citizens that that we are required to do all that is lawful to preserve our own lives as well as those of others. We are also forbidden from taking our own lives as well as unjustly taking the life of another. And we see that in the Shorter Catechism 68 and 69 wonderfully summarized for us. But notice that Jesus goes on pointedly to speak to what came next 
in their hearing. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. But they also heard, whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. This was the commentary of the scribes and Pharisees. And what was this judgment that they spoke of? Well, they pointed to the judgment of the courts of the elders and the the judges that sat at the gates of the cities. Usually there were 23 judges in a court who tried, condemned, and executed murderers. Now, premeditated murderers were liable to capital punishment, and those guilty of unintentional manslaughter to the judgment of the city of refuge. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, what are, what's the city of refuge? I haven't heard of that before, or not familiar with that before. Well, there were actually many cities of refuge, and the cities of refuge were those where guilty parties were given asylum until their case went to trial. And therefore, whoever committed murder was in danger of their judgment. But what does the king and the true lawgiver say? Look at verse 22. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, will be in danger of hellfire. You know, the the problem with much of the Pharisees' teaching on the subject was that the beginning of sin here had a limited focus on the execution of the external act of murder. And yet Jesus reveals that the full intent of the law goes far beyond the external act. Murder begins with the intention of the heart. Jesus teaches us, beloved, that this sin alone is worthy of damnation. And this is a sobering thought, isn't it? Jesus teaches us in Matthew 15, verses 18 and 19, He says, those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. And notice verse 19, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. That's a serious and daunting list. But out of the heart proceed murders. And what does this heart murder look like? Jesus says in Matthew 5, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause. Now, beloved, as the passion of anger is in view here, we're wise to remember that there is righteous anger and there is sinful anger. Be mindful of the command to be angry and not sin in Ephesians 4.26. We are called to be angry at sin, but our anger must not become sinful. We are justly angry at immorality, at injustice, and and all other things that God hates. But Jesus not only helps us see the heart issues here, 
but also to better understand what sinful anger is as he draws the line. He says that anger is sinful when it's without a cause. And what are some examples of such anger being without cause? Well, examples would include having no cause or no good cause. I just did it because I wanted to do it. It was pretty simple as that. That would be no cause. Examples would include having no good cause, of course, in accordance with God's word, which is the standard, which is the determination of just and good causes. They would also include our anger having nothing good as its aim, but rather going after revenge or being fueled by resentment or going out of bounds with anger and headstrong acts of violence. And so considering this, considering this line that Jesus has drawn, see the three dangers that he lays out in verse 22. Look there at verse 22. What does he say? He points out three, anger, pride, and hatred. In regards to anger, those with such sinful anger in their hearts would be in danger of the judgment, he says. And those who would sin against his brother by calling him a scornful word, using the insulting word of raka, which means, you empty fellow. And of course, maybe some of us today, if somebody were to say that to us, we'd be like, huh, what? Oh yeah, okay, well, that doesn't really affect me or hurt me too much. But understand that this was a very serious word. It was an insulting word. And it would only come from a proud heart. They would be in danger of the discipline of the council. But further and thirdly, those who say to a brother, you fool, show themselves to be malicious slanderers. Those words come from a hate-filled heart that falsely accuses another of being wicked and reprobate. And therefore, those who would say such things show themselves to be unbelievers and are in danger of of condemnation, even the eternal condemnation of hell. Remember the Apostle John's words in 1 John 3.15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so now, beloved, with an open understanding of the heart and the law, Jesus goes on in Matthew 5 to give a practical life example along with the path forward. Look at verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar And go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Beloved, such sin in the heart doesn't stay isolated 
in one's heart. See that? Undealt with, it brings the fruit of offense, wedges, conflict in relationships. And Jesus knows this well and teaches his disciples that reconciliation is of utmost importance, especially considering our engagement in worship. Remember that his disciples were students. They were fresh learners about kingdom matters. And here he's laying the groundwork. Here he's opening their eyes to see with different lenses. What is true in the kingdom of Christ, what the full intent and extent of the law is, even to examine their own hearts, let alone the Pharisees being confronted with the sin in theirs. And so what path does Jesus lay out? Helpfully, God gives instruction to both parties involved, notice here. Whereas in step one of Matthew 18, Matthew 18, step one, guides the offended. Matthew 18, verse 15 says this, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But here, Jesus, by his Spirit, guides the offender, notice. If you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift and go your way to do what? To reconcile. To reconcile. And why does Jesus teach reconciliation within the context of worship? Sometimes we may pass this over. Sometimes we may not have even thought about this connection. You may have read this passage many times in your studies over the course of time, but have you considered this connection and the seriousness of it and the application of it? Why does he teach reconciliation in the context of worship? Because of right solemnity in our hearts and our approach to him in holy worship. We are coming in reverence. And solemn, with solemn and contrite hearts into the presence of the living God as the people of God. And therefore, we must examine our hearts and lives with a commitment to keep short accounts with our brothers and sisters and to pursue prompt resolution to conflict. And such prompt pursuit needs to be a priority as as we're aware that worship we offer when we are knowingly not reconciled with others is displeasing to God. One can't serve God, beloved, while being unreconciled with his brother or sister. In order to be right with God, we need to keep short accounts with our brethren. And how do we know that this is true? Consider Paul's words that he told Timothy should be true of the saints in worship. In 1 Timothy 2 verse 8, he said, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Beloved, though we aren't fit to rightly worship God when we are in a continued standoff with a brother, We can't let this be an excuse for the neglect of our duty. And that needs to be clear. 
Many would give this as a reason why they don't come to church or maybe don't take communion, but, but whose fault is that? Matthew Henry helpfully comments, he says, One sin will never excuse another, but will rather double the guilt. Want of charity cannot justify the want of piety. The difficulty is easily gotten over, he says. Those who have wronged us, we must forgive. And those whom we have wronged, we must make satisfaction to, or at least make a tender of it. Meaning, we must try, we must work to do it. And desire a renewal of the friendship, he says, so that if reconciliation be not made, it may not be our fault. So, beloved, there's this focus on offense, but also in reconciliation, the need for it, the priority for it. But notice then what Jesus says, once this path has been followed, what must we do? Come and offer your gift. Come and worship. Another reason for kingdom citizens to pursue prompt reconciliation is what he goes on to speak of next in the cost of not doing so. Look at verses 25 and 26. In verse 25, he says, Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown in prison. My friends, see that Jesus' focus in verses 23 and 24 was on reconciliation within the family of God. And in verses 25 and 26, his message is twofold. First, he speaks to our conduct in in unjust treatment of those outside the body of Christ who could seek legal judgment for restitution or resolution. Which then secondly, has implications for heavenly and eternal judgment. And so a consequence of letting murder in the heart that that bears the fruit of unjust treatment persist unresolved could involve the matter being taken to court, a judge issuing a conviction and ordering the punishment to be carried out. And also, the consequence for unbelievers who stand before the tribunal of Christ in the stain of a murderous heart will receive the just judgment of Christ for their sin and be cast into hellfire. Notice verse 26. Christ says, Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Now some may say, Ah, does this support the Catholic doctrine of purgatory. You're not going to get out of there until you pay the last penny, and if somebody else is paying it for you, fantastic. In fact, that's the way to do it. No, this isn't what Jesus is saying. What he is saying is that those who are, those who are cast into prison in this life will have to fully pay the fine and or do the time for the crime that they committed, but also those who are cast into the eternal prison of hell 
won't escape their punishment. It will be for all eternity. And so as you, as you consider Jesus filling full the law here, showing us the full intent and the extent of the sixth commandment, he shows you the, the shallow understanding of the Pharisees. The, the limited understanding of the world in the view of murder beginning and ending in the external act of the unjust killing of another. But it goes far deeper than that. Can you see the intention beginning in the heart? Can, can you see the weightiness of this sin? We need to consider that this morning, each one of us, myself included, because we are far too cavalier with how we deal with sin in our own hearts and thoughts. We're far too cavalier in terms of what we excuse and what we try to suppress and not deal with. We're far too cavalier with the things that we give into, the temptations that we get into, and sin abounds. And all of a sudden, and even over time, we see hatred and bitterness and resentment and all of those things creeping in and digging in, and we think they're there for justified reasons. And we don't deal with it. But murder begins in the heart, beloved. This is a weighty sin. The truth wasn't only significant, beloved, for Christ's mountainside disciples for their future ministry. But it was critically important in their own lives because of what was true in their hearts and affected their walk and relationship with the Lord. As it was true in their own hearts, beloved, so it is true in yours today. And so therefore, take the, the great importance and need for prompt reconciliation with both men and God with you today. Even that in reference to the right worship of God. And as you examine your heart and find sinful intention within, deal with it promptly. Flee to Jesus in quick and sincere repentance, knowing the beautiful message of the gospel. And knowing and desiring to be faithful to Christ, pursue your brother and sister. Make things right. Hear that the Word of God speaks to both the offender and the offended. Neither are justified in saying, the other one's got to go first. No, come. Let's talk. Let's deal with these things promptly to do what is well-pleasing to God. But see the beautiful picture of the gospel here. And as you, you hear these words of sin and consequence and judgment and justice, the wonder is that Jesus lived and suffered and died to pay for the sin of your murderous heart and to free you from it. This sin and all the rest were placed on him and he received your sentence. He endured the penalty of the eternal wrath of God that you would have experienced in hell. And he received that and took that upon himself 
so that He would bring peace and reconciliation between you and God. And so therefore, as kingdom citizens, as much as it is possible with you, He calls you to be at peace and promptly reconciled with men that you may also be right with Him in obedience. May this be a concern and a desire in all of our hearts. May the Spirit challenge us with the words of Christ here. May we understand more fully the intent and the extent of His law. Praise God for His Word. Let's pray together.